All right. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Eagleburg Church. Really good to have you with us today at all of our campuses. And for those of you watching online, as you can see, a few weeks ago, we challenged our whole church to give. And we did say, we said, God saved us so that we can serve. God gave to us so that we can give. And we said, if everybody in this church gave $50 or more, we would raise a million dollars to give away. The problem was a major snowstorm hit that weekend. And our attendance was like half of what it normally is. So it threw all of our best laid plans off. We had calculated all this. And, you know, God does this sometimes. I truly believe, even in our own personal lives, that sometimes something seems impossible. And it seems like there's no way it could ever happen. But oftentimes God is doing something so he can show it's him and it's not us. And so that first weekend, we thought, we're not even going to get over $500,000, let alone even get close to a million dollars, which is why I'm so excited to share with you that we raised $949,449.04. And incredible. And as I mentioned before, we are not going to keep any of this for ourselves. We're going to give all of it away. Sometimes people say, you know what, well, the church just wants more money. No, we want to give away. We want to impact people around the world, which is why I'm excited to invite Dick Anderson, who is the president of Orphan Network, uh, up here today. Orphan Network is, I believe, one of the best organizations uh, that really is running in the entire world today. And Dick is the president of that. He's the founder of that. He's the visionary behind that. But Orphan Network serves 20,000 orphans. In the country of Nicaragua, they help orphans, they help vulnerable children, and they give them education, they give them food, they give them clothing and shelter, and most importantly, they lead them to Jesus Christ because they do everything through the church. And so, Dick, we came to you a couple months ago, and we said, if you received a gift that was bigger than what you had budgeted for and you could dream a little bit, what would you do, and how did you respond to us? With these resources, 1,200 children will be fed, nourished, and we will share Jesus Christ with them in a very loving way. And then in the process of Orphan Network serving these children, we'll reach through them and introduce Jesus to their parents. So just think about that. Because of your generosity, over a 1,000 kids who currently might be malnourished, might not have the proper you know, education, clothing, medical care, they will receive that. And so, Dick, we are excited to hopefully make those dreams come true. So I have a check here for $220,000 that we want to give to you guys. Wow. What, what an impact. Wow. And, Thank uh, you. Thank we, you, Eagerbrook. Thank you for your generosity. This is really going to make a huge impact for the children in Nicaragua. We believe it is too, Dick. Uh, can we pray for Orphan Network and for those kids that are going to receive uh, these resources? Would you join me? Lord, thank you so much. First of all, I want to thank you for Dick. Our leadership team talks about him as just an incredible man of integrity and compassion and love. And this organization is an organization of integrity, compassion, and love. And God, you love those children who are growing up many times in poverty that we can't even fathom and just need some food, just need some nourishment and some clothing. And God, most importantly, they need you. And I thank you for Orphan Network that will be able to reach over a 1,000 new orphans, a whole new region in Nicaragua will be impacted and changed because of the generosity of this church. God, I pray that you would use this to transform lives, and I pray that when they receive it, God, that we don't get any of the glory here at Eagle Brook. I pray that it goes to you, God, that people will see that it is for you, 
and, uh, and they would thank you, their Father in heaven, who notices them, loves them, and cares for them. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, would you join me again in thanking Orphan Network, Vic, thanks, Vic. I love, we haven't told them the dollar amount, so I love handing out these checks and watching the eyes blink a little bit. I, I'm scared walking out here, because I've never had that amount of money in a check in my pocket before. But we are giving away a different check at every service. So at the 11 o'clock service, we have a different organization coming out. We're giving out a different check. We only have three services here at Lionel Lakes, and so we're highlighting three organizations. But just so you know, we're actually giving to 12, both local and global, and we will give all that $949,000 away to impact people for Jesus Christ. All right, as you know, a couple weeks ago, we launched our seventh campus out at Wyzetta High School. And for me personally, that began as a prayer about three years ago. About three years ago, I sat down with God and I said, God, what do you want me to accomplish with my life before I leave this earth? And I'm 39 years old. I'm almost 40. So the kids are like, you better figure this out, right? It's, it's coming, Dad. It's coming. You're getting old. So I'm like, okay, I got to figure this out. And one of the things that I really felt that God was speaking to me about was what if we could put a campus in the west suburbs near Wyzetta, where I grew up. And I just really, I didn't hear an audible voice from God, but I really just sensed that God was saying that to me. In fact, the week before Wyzetta launched, our senior pastor, Bob Merritt, and I were talking, and half-kiddingly, he said to me, well, depending on how many people show up at Wyzetta this weekend, we'll know if you actually heard from God or not. <laughs> but I couldn't tell if he was kidding. So on the way out to Wyzetta on Sunday morning, I'm driving there, and I'm like, come on, Lord. Come on, my job is on the line. I almost called my parents and were like, get out to Wyzetta. Okay, I just need at least two people out there. Make sure this is happening. But as I pulled in at 840, there was a steady stream of traffic. And it did not let up the whole morning. In fact, I was talking to this woman who works for the Wyzetta School District. She didn't know anything about our church. And she said to me, she said, this is unbelievable. She said, I've never seen anything like this in my entire life. That morning, I met people from Eden Prairie, from Victoria, from Buffalo. 31% of those who checked their kids into our kids' ministry had never been to our church before. Brand new to our church. And so as I was walking in that morning, I was just teared up. And the parking lot guys were all kind of staring at me, so I kept it cool. But I was, I was just teared up because to see something that started as a prayer end in something like this was one of the great joys of my entire life. You know, later on, yeah, go ahead. You know, later on that morning, I was talking to one of our singers, and she said, I just got to tell you this quick story. She said, you know, her daughter is in the same class as my son Hudson. And she said this week, I went into my daughter's bedroom to pray with her before bed, and she said her daughter goes, Mom, we need to pray for Wyzetta. And the mom said, well, yeah, we do, but, but how did you know about that? And she said, well, Hudson asked our whole class to pray. And so now I'm teared up again, thinking that my son would, would care because he doesn't care about anything I'm doing at work, it seems like, most times. He's just like, oh, what does dad do? But, but for him to care enough to ask his whole class to pray. You know, for me personally, one of the reasons why Wyzetta was so emotional and so impactful is because it's reminded me of how much God has changed my life. See, when I was an 18-year-old senior at Wyzetta High School, I had never been to church before. 
I had not been on Easter. I had not been on Christmas. But if you would have asked me, are you a Christian? I would have said, well, yeah, of course I'm a Christian. I mean, my mom's family is Catholic. My dad's family is Lutheran. I mean, what, what else would we really be? Of, of course I'm a Christian. And if you would have asked me, do you have faith? I would have said, well, yeah, I've always believed that there's a God. I've always believed that there's a God who exists. But at the age of 19, I came to a crossroads. I was away from home for the first time. I was trying to make new friends at school. My grandmother had passed away. And I started to ask myself questions like, who am I? And what do I want to be known for? And what is my purpose in life? And maybe some of you have been starting to ask those kinds of questions as well. You are at a crossroads. The Bible speaks about these in Jeremiah 6, verse 16. It says, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. Anyone here today need rest for your soul? All you have to do is ask God what the good way is and then walk in it, which would seem like a no-brainer, wouldn't it? I mean, who doesn't want rest for their soul? Who doesn't want to know the way that God wants them to live their life? You'd think this would be a no-brainer, but it's not. Because just a few verses later, the people in Jeremiah's day, they reply, we will not walk in it. And you go, well, well Why? Why wouldn't you want to do what God wants you to do? And the answer is the same reason why we don't walk in it. It's because we're stubborn. It's because we get hard-hearted. It's because we say, God, I want what I want, and I want to live my life my way, and you just kind of stay off to the side. We're at a crossroads. A crossroads is that moment in your life where you go, this destructive habit that I've been indulging in for five years or so now, it is either going to ruin my life or I'm going to finally break free of it. But I'm at the crossroads. A crossroads is when you say, either I'm going to get serious about my relationship with Jesus Christ and I'm going to commit to church. I'm going to start reading the Bible and praying and having a daily time with God or I guess I'm just going to kind of coast. You are at a crossroads. And in those moments, oftentimes God will say to you, start here. Ask me what the good way is, and then if you will walk in it, I will give you rest for your souls. But it's your choice. It's your crossroads. We are continuing on today in a series called Start Here, because you may not be where you want to be today, but you can get where God wants you to be tomorrow, but you got to start. You've got to start here. In fact, throughout this series, we have looked at one single word that has a massive implication for how we think about God. So week one of the series, the word was sin. Week two, the word was grace. And this week's word is faith. Faith is not a new word. Did you know that new words are being added to the dictionary every year? In January of just this past year, Oxford Dictionary added 1,100 new words, which was shocking to me. I'm like, do we not have enough words? And, and what are these words that we never needed before, but now all of a sudden we're like, somebody come up with a word for that. So I looked up this list. But before I share this list with you, a few of these words, let me just say this. Don't use words 
that other people don't know just so you sound smarter, okay? I just feel like when people do that, that's somewhat puerile. It might even be a bit jejune, you know? That's just, that's just my opinion on that. Here are some of the new words. Me time. I swear this is two words, but they just added a dash, and they're like, no, now it's one word. We never needed this word before. Your grandparents' generation, your grandfather never woke up in the morning and said, you know, I got to go milk the cows. I've got to go harvest the corn, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to take some me time today. (laughs) They never did that. But we live in a world today where people are like, I'm going to do that. I need some me time. So we needed to invent that word. Here's another new word. Mansplaining. This is when a man is trying to explain something to a woman and she can tell that he has no idea what he's talking about. I'm a guy and I'm surprised it's taken us thousands of years to need this word. I feel like Eve was in the Garden of Eden looking at Adam going, don't try to mansplain this to me. So I just don't get how it's taken us a couple thousand years to need that word. Here's a final one. Disconfect. Disconfect is the attempt to sterilize a piece of candy that has fallen on the ground by the act of blowing on it. (laughs) Kids, you should write this down. Because the next time you drop a piece of candy and mom goes, don't eat that, throw that in the garbage. You just go, mom, it's okay. I'll just disconfect it. Pop it in. It's no big deal. By the way, have you noticed how almost every guy thinks that their breath has supernatural powers to fix things? Like something's wrong with your phone, and they're like, here, hand that to me. And they're like, <laughs> or, or, or the DVD is skipping, you know, and they take it out of the, try it now. They just think that every, you know, Superman has the power to fly, but it's okay. I have my own superhuman powers. I can fix things by blowing on them. Now you have a word for your superpowers. It's called disconfect. Now, all of those are brand new words that have just been coming around in the last couple of years. Faith is not a word like that. Faith is not a new word, but faith is a word that's being used in new ways. For example, when I hear people use the word faith these days, oftentimes they'll say something like this. They'll say, well, you you just got to have faith. And the way that they say it in the context, it seems to mean this isn't going to happen. I mean, this is just impossible. There's there's no way. But, you know, just have faith. Because maybe if you believe enough, you can actually make it happen. But here's my question. What does this word faith even mean? Does it mean wishful thinking? Does it mean positive thinking? Does it mean believe in yourself? What does this word faith even mean? In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, Peter writes these words. He says, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. Now notice right away how he connects faith to trials or suffering in your life. That should be our first clue that faith is not a feeling. Sometimes people say, well, I just, I just don't feel close to God. And one of the things that I will say to them is faith is not a feeling. 
It's not this warm little fuzzy that you get inside and go, oh, I'm just, I have strong faith. It's also not a formula. It's not like, well, if I have enough faith, then I can actually get God to do what I want him to do. It's not a feeling. It's not a formula. Faith is the ability to trust God even when your life is not going well. But notice the word that he attaches to faith. He says, your faith is genuine. And that's my prayer for you today, that you would have a genuine kind of faith, the kind of faith that can get you through anything in life. Or people look at you and go, how, how are you having the, a peace through this situation? You say, well, it's, it's I have a genuine faith. It's the kind of faith that allows you to sleep at night because you know that God's in control. It's the kind of faith that's real. It's the kind of faith that's personal. That's a whole lot different than, well, my mom was Catholic and my dad was Lutheran. Therefore, I, I guess I have faith. I would call that an inherited faith. It's a label that you've given to yourself. It's an idea or a belief that you would say that you, you have. But it's not something that's ever become real or personal in your life. It's not necessarily something you've taken ownership over. My oldest son is learning how to spend his own money these days. He gets an allowance for doing certain chores. And recently, his class was taking a field trip to go skiing. And the night before, he came and hit me up for money. He's like, hey, can I get some money for snacks? And the week before this, I had given him money, $20, to go to a high school basketball game. And he came home with zero change. And the guy who took him was like, oh, he's buying chocolate chip cookies and nachos and hot dogs. So I said to him, I said, hey, you've got your own money. If you want to buy snacks, you know, in the chalet, you, you just go ahead and use your own money. The next morning, he woke up, walked to our pantry, grabbed two packets of hot chocolate, threw them in his pocket, and said, I guess I'm just going to ask him for some hot water. <laughs> oh, really? Little different when it's your own money, isn't it? You value that a little differently. Faith is the same way. No one takes ownership over an inherited faith. Because it's not really your own. You don't value it the same way. How many of us here today would say, you know what, if I'm honest, I have a little bit of that inherited faith that you're talking about. I mean, I've always considered myself a Christian. I've always grown up believing that there's a God who exists. But I really am envious of people who have this faith that seems real and it seems personal to them. And I believe that today is your day to step into that kind of faith, to step into a genuine faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 defines what faith is, which is interesting that we've created all these definitions when the Bible gives us one. It says this in Hebrews 11.1, 1, what is faith? That's the question we've been asking. What is faith? He says, it is the confident assurance I love that word confident. It is the confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. It is the evidence of things that we cannot yet see. Now, I've always been drawn to this phrase, it's an evidence of things that we cannot yet see. It means that our faith is based on evidence. It's not a blind faith. It's not an irrational faith. I'll talk to people sometimes who think that that's what faith is. They think, well, you know, there's, there's no evidence that God created the world. There's no evidence that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And so people who believe that stuff, well, they're just, it's just faith. 
It's like just wishing it to happen or, or believing a unicorn or something, but it's, it's not based on evidence. And what I will tell them is this. I will say, you owe it to yourself to study this issue. Because if Jesus Christ actually rose from the dead, that means that eternal life is possible. It's not just a pipe dream. And I will tell people, you ought to read, if you're just starting out, Lee Strobel's books, Case for Christ or Case for Faith. They've actually made Case for Christ into a movie. But you will find there is an evidence for our faith. But then he says, it's an evidence of things that we cannot yet see. Which is kind of strange, isn't it? Because we think of evidence as something that you can see. He says it's an evidence of things that we cannot yet see. We'll see it one day. But right now, we don't. They asked Billy Graham one time how he could believe in a God that he doesn't see with his physical eyes. And Billy Graham responded the same way I can believe in the wind. He said, I don't see the wind, but I see the effects of the wind. He said, in the same way, I don't see God with my physical eyes, but I see the effects of God in the world today. He said, when I look at the universe and I see how intricately designed it is, I see the effects of a designer, an intelligent designer. He said, when I see people who put their faith in Jesus Christ and they find this power to break free from an addiction, when they find a power to love an enemy or forgive someone that they otherwise could never have forgiven. He said, I don't see God, but I see the effects of God. I would say the exact same thing. As I mentioned, I was out at YZ a few weeks ago, and while I was there, I was touring our kids' space. And I walked into this one kid's classroom, and the teacher up front was a friend of mine. I recognized him. He had coached my son's baseball team one year. And he was so fun. I mean, the kids were just loving church, and he was making it so engaging. But I turned to the guy that I was with, and I said, doesn't he live in Lionel Lakes? I, I, he goes to the Blaine campus. What's he doing out here at YZ? And the guy I was with said, yeah, he, he does. But he drives 50 minutes every weekend to come out here and to teach these kids. He said he wanted to be a part of a campus launch. Now, you just think about that for a moment. Here's a guy my age, and he's up front. He's pretending to be a mouse, and then he's pretending to be a bear. And he's driving 50 minutes there and 50 minutes back every single weekend. And that doesn't make any sense, apart from faith. A friend of mine recently took a job at Eagle Brook. And he's never told me this. We've never talked about this. But he was in a high-level position at a different organization. And so I'm pretty sure he took a pay cut to come work with us. Not only that, but he was at an organization that had some benefits that would have paid for most of his kids' college education. And he has several kids that are heading off to college very soon. Now, again, he's never mentioned this to me. But I did the math. And I am guessing that he gave up about $500,000 in these benefits to come take this job. I had lunch with him, and I said, man, why are you doing this? Like, I love that you are. I'm so glad, but, but why? He said, when I was making the decision, I went to five Eaglebrook campuses when it was the baptism weekend. And he said there was one service where this man came up really late. And you could tell he'd been wrestling with whether or not to get baptized. And he said he looked so broken and so beaten down. 
He had to be helped into the water, but he said by the time he got out of the water, he had tears of joy on his face. And my friend said, again, I didn't hear an audible voice from God, but I just had this sense that what God was saying to me is, this is what I do. I take people who are broken and hurting, and I bring them back to life again, and I want to use you to be a part of that. And so he said, I knew it was going to be hard. I knew it was going to be a financial challenge, but I also knew that God was going to provide. He said a little bit later in the lunch, if I ever write a book, I'm going to call it Worldly Foolish, because it's worldly foolish to take a job that pays less and to give up six figures of benefits unless faith is involved. Here's what faith is. Faith is a belief that drives your life. It is a confident conviction based on the evidence that you orient your entire life around, where you say, you know what, this faith, it's going to influence the decisions I make, the way I spend my money, the way I spend my time, how I treat my spouse and my kids. All of it is influenced by a faith in Jesus Christ. And that's just it. When I say faith, I don't mean some vague belief. I don't mean positive thinking, wishful thinking, believing in yourself. I'm talking about a faith in Jesus Christ because the object of your faith really matters. Let me try to illustrate this for you. Let's say we went skydiving together and we got up in the plane and it was time to put the parachute on and you accidentally grabbed this backpack. And, and I look at you and I go, dude, what are you doing? That, that's a backpack. You're going to die. And you look back at me and you go, why are you so judgmental? I mean, who are you to tell me how to live my life? And I'm like, well, I'm not trying to be pushy, but I'm just a little concerned about that whole Hello Kitty thing you got going on back here. And you say to me, well, I have faith that this backpack is going to save me. I have faith, I have belief, and that's all that really matters. If I have a faith that it's going to save me, well, then I think I'll be fine. And I say, well, I'm glad that you have faith that that backpack is going to save you, but you're going to die because it's the object of your faith that really matters. When I say faith, I don't just mean a faith in yourself. I don't mean a faith in some higher power or a vague idea. I mean a faith in Jesus Christ. That is the faith that can make a real difference in your life. In fact, in our time left, let me give you two ways that a faith in Christ can make a difference in your life. The first one is this. Your faith will sustain you. I hope if you're a believer today, you know that no matter what is going on in your life, that your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ is going to sustain you. And I hope that if you're not a believer or if you're a person who says, yeah, I have some faith, but it's not real, it's not personal, it's not genuine, I hope you see this and go, that's just what I need right now. Because how many of us know that life is uncertain? Every day, 29 people die from a drunk driving accident. Every single day. Just this week, a bridge collapsed in Florida crashed down on cars, driving along a road. There's at least six fatalities that they know of. Those were six people who are just driving down the road, heading to Starbucks, heading to Target, and all of a sudden they're stepping into eternity. 
Since the Parkland school shooting in Florida, there's been endless debate about gun laws and mental health issues, but I've gotten a couple emails from parents who say, I am so anxious. And I find myself living in so much fear. And I know I shouldn't feel that way, but whenever the school bus pulls out of my cul-de-sac, I just start to go, what's going to happen today? What used to be certain is no longer certain. And those are just the things that are in the news. I mean, think about the uncertainties in your own personal life. What about your kids? I mean, what if your kids don't turn out the way that you hoped that they would? What if they get bullied at school or don't have friends? What if they watch too much screen time and it does something to their brain? What if they get exposed to pornography or a sexual predator somehow locks in on them? What if? There's what ifs in your relationships. What if my spouse is cheating on me? What if they're about to leave me? Some of you are living with that right now. What if I never recover from my divorce? What if I can't find someone to spend the rest of my life with? There's job uncertainties. What if I get let go or my position is eliminated? What if I can't find a job or I don't graduate in time? What if I'm starting to lose my edge as I age? What if treatment doesn't work? What if? Every one of us has uncertainties in our life. And the world that we live in today, there's all sorts of answers to how you can deal with those. Well, just, you know, be more successful. Make more money. Look better. They'll, they'll say, you know, just, just ignore it. Try to numb your mind. Turn to drugs. Turn to alcohol. Look at something on a screen. You know, entertain yourself. Don't, don't think about those, you know, real issues of life. Just look at your phone. Watch your TV. Just, just forget about it. But here's my question for you. What are you going to do? When anxiety begins to set in, when fear begins to take over, what is it that's going to sustain you? Psalm 55, verse 22, says, Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. What if every single one of us could do that today? What if you could think of that one anxiety or issue in your life, and what if you could say, God, I cast this onto you. God, I can't carry it any longer. To cast means to put onto. It means the idea is to take it off of your shoulders and to put it onto God's shoulders. And you can do that through a simple prayer of faith. A prayer that says, Lord, help me. Lord, would you sustain me? God, I can't carry this anymore. I need you to carry it for me. But some of you say, yeah, but God wouldn't answer a prayer like that for me. I, mean, I talked to a woman recently, and, and she said, you know, I see people who have this faith. I see people who are going through difficult times in life, and they have this peace. And I want that, but I just don't know how to get it. And that's what a lot of us think. We think it's the haves and the have-nots. You know, some people are just genetically born with faith. And it's the pastors and the priests and Billy Graham and Mother Teresa. They just naturally have faith. But then we conclude that we're in the have-not group because we doubt and we question and we wonder. And I want you to hear today that every single one of us can cast our cares onto God. Every one of us can have the peace that he offers, but it starts through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, this life is uncertain. 
Billy Graham said it this way. He said, you're born, you suffer, you die. Fortunately, there's a loophole. Jesus Christ is the loophole. Faith in him is what will sustain you. Here's the second difference that faith in Christ can make in your life. It's this, faith will save you. Ephesians 2.8, so clear. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Anyone here today need to be saved from something? Saved from your sin. Saved from your guilt. Saved from wondering and worrying about where you're going to spend your eternity. You know, I mentioned in a message uh, several months ago that my 2001 Toyota Highlander was just conking out on me. I would try to start it and the engine would die. And so I mentioned in a message that I was literally going to go buy a new car the next day. And I need to be careful what I say because the next morning my inbox was more full than normal. And it was from those of you who are in the car industry. And everybody wanted to help me get a great deal on a new car. And I'll tell you what, I very much appreciate that. But here's what I decided to do instead. I just let my car sit in the garage for four days. And then I went and started it up, and it was like it was brand new. She just needed a vacation. She just needed a break. I was working her a little bit too hard. And so I decided I'm just going to drive that car until it drops. But here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to put any money into it. Like, I'm not spending money to get a car wash. I'm just not. I don't care if you write wash me in the salt and the grime on the side of my car while it sits in the grocery store parking lot, which one of you did. (laughs) I don't know if it's someone from this church, but maybe it was. I don't care. I am not going to put money into that car. But here's what I am going to do. I will aim for puddles. I am telling you, I was driving through my neighborhood recently, and I saw this huge puddle on the right-hand side. And I had one of the most brilliant ideas that have ever crossed my mind. I floored my car, and I hit that puddle as fast as I could, and it was awesome. It was like a tidal wave went rushing over the right side of my car and completely cleaned it. Now I just need to find a puddle on the left-hand side of the street, and now I'll have a completely clean car. That is my car cleaning strategy right now. Let me ask you, what is your conscience cleaning strategy? When something is eating at your conscience, like salt eats away at your car, and you just know that you're hiding a sin and it's tearing you apart, or you realize that your behavior is starting to affect your kids, or it's starting to affect the relationships you have with the people you love the most. What is your conscience cleaning strategy? You know, some people just puddle hit. They they think, you know, I'm just going to take a shortcut. I'll try to just make up for it somewhere. I'll try harder. You know, I'm sorry. Here's some flowers. I promise I'll never do that again, but they do. And maybe their conscience is clean for a week or a month, but it never gets fully clean. The guilt begins to build up like grime. There is something eating away at your soul like salt eats away at a car. And it's because your sins can't be washed clean on your own. It is only by grace you've been saved through faith. In fact, look at the very next verse. It says, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. 
was driving home from a basketball practice a couple weeks ago late at night, and I saw a billboard on 35W that was a picture of Billy Graham. And then there were just two words. It said, I'm home. And driving at night with it all lit up, it, it sort of took my breath away. And I turned to my son and I said, wouldn't it be something if every single person who walks on this planet, that, that people would look at them and they would go, you know what, I don't have to wonder, I don't have to worry, but I just know they're home. And wouldn't it be something if each of us could live our lives that way? That no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're dealing with, that we would have this confident assurance that one day, we can't see it right now, but one day, through our faith, we would step into eternity and we would see God face to face. That the things we can't see now, we would, we would see them one day. I said, wouldn't that be something? Some of you say, well, yeah, that's Billy Graham. I mean, he's one of the haves. I remember, I'm in the have-not group. I want to read you this quote by Billy Graham. He said, I'm not going to heaven because I preached to great crowds or read the Bible many times. I'm going to heaven like the thief on the cross who said in that last moment, Lord, remember me. Every one of us today can say, Lord, remember me. Lord, would you save me? Your faith in Jesus Christ is what saves. I got an email from a college student just recently, and his name is Jacob. And he said, my name, Jacob, means to wrestle with God, and I feel like I've been doing that most of my life. He said, you know, growing up at the age of five or six, I became a follower of Christ. But he said, over time, I began to forget what it means to believe and to trust God. He said, eight months ago, I was at a college on a scholarship. I had dreams of playing a professional sport. I had a girlfriend and I had a relationship with my dad. He said, eight months later, I've lost all that. He said, I flunked out of school. I started to abuse drugs and alcohol. My girlfriend broke up with me. And my dad, I walked out of the house. And he wrote me this email, and I thought it was so picturesque. He said, I'm sitting here in my apartment with what feels like nothing. He said, there's a pain inside me that I cannot describe to you. And maybe that's how you feel today. Maybe there's a pain that's inside you. And maybe you just feel like you are so alone right now. I want you to know that a faith in Jesus Christ can sustain you. A faith in Jesus Christ can save you. And Jacob wrote back, he said, I need to tell you that the moment my girlfriend broke up with me, I went running back to God. And I just said to God, I used to have faith. But I need that kind of faith again. And maybe today that's you, that you used to believe God. You used to have this confidence in God. 
but lately you've started to forget. Or, or maybe there's something going on in your life right now and you say, God, I just need strength. I need you to give me faith. Or maybe you're the person who says, I, I have an inherited faith and I want it to become real and personal. All you need to do is to pray a simple prayer of faith. To say, Lord, remember me. Lord, save me. I want to lead you in a prayer like that right now. At all of our campuses, you can remain seated. But I want to ask that God would give us faith. Would you join me as we pray? God, I pray for that person here who says, I've always believed in God. I've always grown up having a sense that you were real, but I've never really taken ownership of it. It's never become real to me. It's never become personal to me. God, right now, I want to lead them in a prayer. And just in the quietness of their own mind, they're just going to pray, Lord, would you forgive me? I've sinned against you and my sin has separated me from you. But right now, God, I believe. Based on the evidence, God, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that he rose from the dead and I believe that by faith, I too one day can rise from the dead. God, I put my faith in you. I put my confidence in you. I put my trust in you right now. Would you save me? And God, I pray for that person here who is going through something and they just need you. They need you to sustain them. They need you to fill them with faith and with strength and with peace. God, right now, they just pray, Lord, remember me. Lord, help me. Lord, sustain me. Give me a peace that this world cannot give me. And God, we ask for that in faith. We ask for that in belief and confident assurance in your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, would you tell somebody, stop off at the Next Steps area of your campus. If you're watching online, you can text the word BELIEVE to 555-888. If you need some prayer, come on down front. We would love to pray for you. Have a great day, everybody.